Hello, welcome back to What's True for Everybody. This is experience number 30, and it's called John 11, part 3. It's time for some resurrection up in here. This is a four-part series uh, on John 11, inspired by the death of my dear grandmother, who I call Grammy, uh, late in July. And it inspired me to start studying the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, which is in John 11, and it just turned into this four-part series. So uh, let's get into part three here, and we'll start with this. Have you noticed that there are some experiences that you have, you go through, and on the other side of those experiences, things can't help but be different? It's almost as if things can't be the way that they were before if you're going to actually keep living and, and move forward. Uh, for instance, I'll give you two examples here. One's a bit of a heavier one and then a lighter one. When This would have been 2014, I think, when our son Parker was maybe one. Uh, he had a fever for over 100 days straight. And it wasn't like 103, 104 fever. It was like between 100 and 101, but it was for over 100 days straight. And I don't know how long into it we got concerned and we took him to the doctor and like the pediatrician, they couldn't figure out what was going on. And so we ended up seeing uh, these specialists and at first they couldn't figure out what was going on. And so I just remember at one point they started testing Parker for cancer as a one-year-old. Now, I was certainly hoping and praying that he didn't have cancer, and I don't know if I ever actually thought that he did. I mean, he was still his normal, lively, all-over-the-place self. Like he, I remember him high-fiving the doctors around the office, and one doctor said to him, yeah, I don't think much is wrong with you. But still, we didn't know, and my one-year-old was getting tested for cancer. And I remember waiting the couple days or whatever it was for the results in the phone call, and holding him, playing with him, wondering what is happening in his little body and and what's going to happen on the other side of the phone call that we're going to get. Uh, Turns out they diagnosed him with Epstein-Barr virus, which I guess is a cousin to mono. Um, So nothing nothing too serious at all. But there was, have you ever been in a time where like, I don't know what's going to happen on the other side of this. And so we get to the other side and he's fine and we know that. Uh, But things have to be different. I don't look at my son the same because even the question of, is he going to be around for as long as I want him to be around? You tend to value that person differently. It it can't be the same. Things have to be different on the other side of that. A little lighter example here. Uh, I remember when I discovered the thing called the all-inclusive resort. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? The first time I experienced this was on our honeymoon. First time either of us had had gone to an all-inclusive. And those things are fantastic. I mean, you literally don't have to think when you're at those places, except for you have to decide if you're going to sit at the pool or the beach during the day and what restaurant you're going to go to for dinner, but food, whatever, wherever you want, drink, whatever you, whenever you want, uh, go to the beach, the pool, whenever you want. There is, uh, there is no, like things have to be different after you experience the all-inclusive vacation. Uh, it, it was something like, whoa, this, this actually, well, you can do this. <laughs> and so we've been back to all inclusive vacations, uh, for sure, because, and we'll go back to more at some point, 
because that's an experience that like no other. And now I'm all for, let me say this, I'm all for like going places and, and, and having a host like people or family or whatever and, and doing the culture thing and uh, doing all that. That's great. And I'm all for that. Um, like the inclusive, you don't have to leave the resort for however long you're staying there and, and like you're not missing, that's fine with you. Uh, so there are some experiences where things that just can't help but be different after that. Now, let's get into reading our passage for today. This is John 11. I'm going to read uh, verses 38 to 44. And John writes this. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Interesting. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, who is Lazarus' sister? The sister of the dead man. I could have just read that part. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor, for it has been, for he has been there four days. We talked about that last time. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to look at this passage from the inside out. So we'll start in the middle of this passage and then we'll work our way out. Um, I'm not suggesting this is the way John designed us to read this, but I was studying this and I thought, oh, this is interesting if we go from the inside out. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to start in the middle, then go a little further out, and then we'll go to the bookend. And then I'll close by talking about the part John skips here, the part as the author that John skips that's interesting to talk about. So first, the middle, verses 40 to 42. Okay, it says this, then Jesus said, did I not tell you? So he's talking to Martha, who's like, hey, he smells. Don't, don't like take away the stone. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, so now he's talking to God. I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. What is this about? This whole thing, John 11 here, this is about Jesus' power over death. And we mentioned this, I think, in part one. This is this, if you, if you read the gospel of John, John lays out his gospel by signs. There are seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus does. That's how John is ordering his gospel. Seven, by the way, a really significant number uh, in the Bible. Uh, so this is the climactic sign in John. This is the seventh sign. So, and Paul, uh, he quotes in 1 Corinthians 15, he quotes the Old Testament prophet Hosea where he says, death, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The obvious answer, the rhetorical answer, of course, is nowhere. Nowhere. Death doesn't have victory. D death doesn't have an ultimate sting because Jesus has power over death. By the way, I said this is the climactic sign in John, which, which in a way it is, it is but, but there will be only one sign greater than this. 
There will be another time as we head through John's gospel, when we read about a tomb with a stone laid across the entrance and the stone is somehow removed. That, by the way, if you're counting, is John's eighth sign. How many days in a week? Seven. Seven, according to uh, the creation story, Genesis 1 and 2. The eighth sign signifies when Jesus is raised from the dead, it's a new week. (laughs) That's great. John's seventh sign here is actually foreshadowing his eighth sign. What's the point? Jesus has power, ultimate power over death. And remember in part one, two experiences ago, we talked about Jesus' motivations for for whatever he does, whatever he says. Uh, First, love for his people. I don't mean to rank these in order, but, but the first one I'll mention, love for his people. And then second, his desire for God's glory to be revealed. Do you notice what he says here in the middle of this passage when he's talking to God? He says, I said this when he says to Mary, did I not tell you if you believe, uh, then you will see the glory of God. And then he says to God, I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. What is this? What is he saying? I said this. So your glory may be revealed by the way, because that's one of my main motivations here to the people I love and to the people that you love. This is about Jesus power over death and Jesus love for his people and Jesus desire for God's glory to be revealed. Starting this last weekend, my wife, Corey, and I have, have two, and this is, this is like revolutionary for us. We have two consecutive full days off together for the first time since, since January of 2012. For the first time in over seven and a half years, we have two full days off together at the same time. Uh, so we have, we're starting to make this great attempt to having a family Sabbath. So when we only had one day off together... It was typically Friday over the year, over the last seven and a half years. Uh, there had to be things like at some point, there had to be things like grocery shopping or laundry or paying bills or making decisions on things like this or running errands that needed to be done. Uh, and this last weekend, we decided to take Saturday and none of that was allowed. <laughs> none of that. We're like, we're just going to play. So uh, Corey and I have, have practice having a Sabbath for, for a while, but it hasn't always been on the same day because that wasn't possible with the jobs that we were doing. So this last Saturday, we went to downtown Boulder, which is about an F, uh, close to an hour drive from our house. And uh, we some excitement going on down there, by the way. School is starting this week uh, for Colorado University. And uh, so we spent a good amount of time in downtown Boulder, went to visit my cousin and her family who live about 15, 20 minutes from downtown Boulder. And I I just started thinking about, as I was putting this experience together, just the ways I saw God's glory revealed during that time. And I saw God's glory in in the people walking up and down Pearl Street in downtown Boulder and the street performers who were juggling fire and playing the saxophone and singing and waving to my kids. I saw the glory of God in in the delicious food from Illegal Pete's. Have you eaten at Illegal Pete's yet? Uh, I saw the glory of God in in the cold water of Boulder Creek as we stepped into it and walked in it on a a hot day. I I saw God's glory revealed in watching our kids play at a park and just being kids, climbing up things and then racing each other down slides. And there was this water pump where you can just pump water and get yourself wet and them doing that. I saw 
God's glory revealed in my son working so hard at tying his shoes. And by the way, he's getting really good at it. And I, I saw it in watching our daughter want to walk in the creek one more time before she before we left because she just wanted to and we could do it because it was our play day. And I saw God's glory revealed and having a great conversation with Corey and my cousin and, and, and her husband. It was fantastic. And watching my kids play with their cousins and, of course, just looking at the mountains on a sunny day, both in Boulder and uh, my cousin, by the way, on her back deck. Beautiful view of the mountains. Question for you. Where is Jesus revealing God's glory to you today? What are the sights? What are the feelings? What are the relationships? What are the interactions? What is God giving you? To look at, look, look at my glory just through this. Or let's, let's ask this another way. How can you team up with Jesus to help reveal God's glory to someone else today? Who can you make smile? Who can you serve in some way? Who can you help make think where, oh, death is your victory? Because what, what this person helped me just do is experience some life. This passage is about, it's about Jesus' power over death, which is also, by the way, about God's glory being revealed, which is also, by the way, about helping people believe in Jesus through teaming up with Jesus to help God reveal his glory to them. So that was the middle. Now, let's go a little further out from the middle. So, so a little before that, this is verse 30, the second part of verse 39. Martha says to Jesus, when Jesus says, okay, take away the stone at the beginning, we'll get to that line. Martha says, but Lord, he's been in there four days. He's going to smell. Like he's going to stink something awful. Remember, Lazarus is really dead, right? After three days, there, there was no more hope for the spirit who some believed wanted to reenter the body to reenter the body. So after like three days, it's done. It's over. So he's really dead. So she's like, Jesus, why would you remove the stone? <laughs> What's the point now? And by the way, please let my dead brother just, just hang on to some dignity. He's just going to smell. That's all you're going to get from this. And that's not how we'd want people to remember him. Please don't do this. Uh, by the way, not even Martha, not even the sister of Lazarus could have imagined or seen coming what Jesus is about to do. Okay, so, so that's just before the middle where God says to the father, I've, I've said this so your glory may be revealed. Okay, now a little bit after that, this is, or just after that, this is verses 43 to the first part of 44. So this is just after Jesus talks to God. He says, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. What kind of voice? A loud voice. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now, here's where it gets a little bit interesting. The, the, the word John uses here to, to tr that we translate called in a loud voice. This is the same word that John uses to describe the crowds yelling on Palm Sunday to Jesus in chapter 12, by the way. And the same word he uses multiple times uh, for the cries of the crowds calling for Ju Jesus crucifixion in chapters 18 and 19, like kill him, crucify him. So when John says that Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus come out, 
Jesus isn't using his inside voice here. (laughs) He's not using his six inch voice. He is yelling. He is loud. Here's why this is interesting. During the time, magic spells, the the kind of magic spells that the New Testament speaks against, the demonic kind, they, they were muttered and they were mumbled. That's how you would do a magic spell. Jesus here is, is clearly contradicting that, standing apart from all of that. This isn't, he's saying, this isn't some sort of demonic magic I'm doing here. This is something else. This is actually the opposite of that. So he called out in a loud voice. He yelled, Lazarus, come out. The next line, the dead man came out. What a great line. What great writing. What a great like picture. The dead man came out out. Can you visualize this? The man who had no business coming back to life, A, because he was dead, (laughs) B, because he was dead for four days. But Jesus does what no one else saw coming, including his sisters. I have a friend who was a pastor for a long time, over 30 years, and he had a really, really bad ending to a church that he faithfully served for, uh, I, I don't even know how many years, I, th- I think, I don't know, over 20, I think. Um, and he was, uh, it was unfairly and unbiblically removed from his church without, without backstabbed, I guess is a good way to say it. And I'm talking like the kind of thing that makes you not want to trust people or trust the church again. <laughs> Have you had this experience? Do you know what I'm talking about? The kind that makes you not want to trust people or the church again, which as you can imagine, caused hurt and anger and stress, not just for him, but for his wife and family. And and the thought of what in the world, like this is what I did for a living for a career. This is about all I know. What in the world am I going to do now? And he walked through this very, very difficult time. And he ended up being led by God to get his license to sell real estate. And he sold houses because that's a logical vocation jump, jump pastor of a church for a long, long time to real estate. And he ended up selling houses for the last 10 years of his working career. And he loved it. He absolutely loved it because he got to enter people's stories. He got to have good conversations with people. He got to dream with people. He once told me that in some ways he felt more like a pastor selling houses than he ever did leading a church. And so in the midst of this death of, of being removed from the church, he poured his life, heart and soul into and into the vo- only vocation he ever really knew who could have seen coming what God was about to do through of all things, real estate. By the way, this, this guy, this man is, is still being a pastor to me and to many others. And because a job title doesn't define you. Who you are, who God created you to be, that's what defines you. He was a pastor real estate person. He was a pastor selling houses, which is, is what he was doing. Another question here. What might God be about to do in your life that you wouldn't and couldn't have even seen coming? So something that will take you from a death to a resurrection, Maybe you lost the only career you've ever known and you have no idea what to do next. Or your family dynamics recently changed for one reason or another and and you don't know how you'll ever heal or get past it or forgive or be happy again. Or you need money to pay for 
basic needs in life, like a car repair or the electric bill or groceries or your kid's tuition. Um, And the only way to put it is you need more money and you are clueless as to how you'll get it. Or you're battling depression or an addiction or you're spiraling downward from some health news that you've received and death right now actually looks better than life to you. Is it possible? Is it possible? Remember we talked in part one about just having that little faith, that little hope. Is it possible that God is about to do something you could never have imagined or seen coming? And it's also kind of beyond your wildest dreams. It might not be in the method you would choose or the timing you would choose. But as a reminder to you and to me and and to all of us, God can see things that we can't. He can see further than we can. He can see deeper than we can. His, way, his ways, we're told, are higher than our ways, which is the case here with Martha. If she had her way, the stone would stay put. The stone would never have been removed, which would have made a resurrection impossible for Lazarus. But God has other, he has resurrection ideas. This is about Jesus' power over death, in case I haven't mentioned that yet, which means it's also about faith and hope that God can surprise us with beautiful newness in ways we would have never and couldn't have ever seen coming. So that was the middle, and then that was a little further out. Now let's go to the bookend. Let's go to the first and last things that Jesus says in this part of the story, in this part of the passage. Okay, let's look at the first part of verse 39. Uh, Jesus says, take away the stone. Or take, yeah, take away the stone. It's like enough, enough weeping, enough standing around. It's time for action. It's time for some resurrection up in here, Jesus says. And then you get to the last thing Jesus says, which is the last line that we read in this part of the passage. Jesus says to them, take off, take off the grave clothes and let him go. If, if you died, in this time, in the time of Jesus, first century. And your, your loved ones, would, would, they would prepare your body for burial with oil and with linens. We, we see this even with Jesus' death later on. But now that Lazarus is alive, he's gone from death to resurrection. He's out of the tomb. Now that he's alive, the grave clothes, they can't stay on. They have to come off. So the first and last things that Jesus says in this part of the story are anti-death. They're about life. Says it's time for some resurrection up in here. If you're going to truly live, there are some stones that will have to be taken away. There are some grave clothes that that need to come off because they can't stay on if you're going to truly live. That's the only way to really be free and, as Jesus calls it, to have life to the full. If you're a football fan, you you heard some shocking news recently. Andrew Luck the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's a Monday right now. I heard this, I think Saturday night is when it got first announced. He announced that he's retiring from football two days ago. Uh, he's been, he said he's been in this cycle for the last four years of injury, pain, rehab. Injury, pain, rehab. He's just been plagued by different sorts of injuries over the last four years, one of which took him out for an entire season. And he says it's, it's taken a toll on him. It's taken his joy from football. It's taken away his joy from football. So he, along with his, his wife and some other trusted people, he's decided that in order for him to truly live, he has to take off football. That's what has to be taken away, is, is the conclusion he came to. If he's going to truly live and have joy, he has to take off football right now, which is 
as a football fan, it's sad because he's a good dude from everything I've seen about him and know about him. And the NFL needs more good guys, not less. Uh, but I have much respect for Andrew Luck, for, for doing what he needs to do, for taking off what he needs to take off, for rolling away what he needs to roll away in order to really live. By the way, there's some sort of critics of Andrew Luck's decision, which is nonsense. Maybe that'll be another its own experience sometime. I have great respect for Andrew Luck and, and what he's doing, even though it's hard and sad. Anyway, from Andrew Luck to you, here we go. Questions. What stones need to be taken away from your life? What grave clothes need to be taken off? Because, because with these things, it's, it's, with these things on, it's actually making it impossible for you to live a res- resurrection life. Do you need to come clean to someone? You've been hiding something. You've been lying for maybe a couple days. Maybe it's several years or decades. Do you need to give the money back that you took? Do you need to, to roll away to remove the stone of pills you've been taking? Do you need to take off the grave clothes of pornography? Do you need to stop emotionally abusing the person who trusts you? It's been going on so long, it might not even seem like you're doing it anymore. Do you need to remove the stone of impatience with your kids? Do you need to take off the grave clothes of of anger toward your in-laws or your neighbor or your boss? This is a story about Jesus' power over death, which means it's also a story about Jesus helping us take away the things that need to be taken away in in order for us to truly live, which means it's also uh, about taking off the grave clothes that, that need to come off because a resurrection has happened. Lazarus was dead, but he's not dead anymore. And certain things they can't live on, which by the way, brings us to the part John skips. So we talked about the middle. We talked about a little further out. We talked about the bookend, the things that Jesus says in this passage. Now for the part John skips. So, so it's the end of the resurrection story. Jesus says, he's, Lazarus is out. He says, take off, the grave, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The next three verses say this. So Lazarus is out of the tomb. His, his, his sisters are there. Jesus is there. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What? (laughs) Wait a minute. There's like a big chunk missing here, John. Lazarus is out of the tomb. The The stone is taken away. The grave clothes are off. And you go right to how the religious leaders want to kill Jesus, (laughs) which by the way, we'll talk about next time in part four. Doesn't it seem like there's this huge piece missing? Like I have some obvious questions like this. Okay. Lazarus is out of the tomb. How did he feel? Did, did, Did he feel like a new person? Like no more sickness at all? Or was he like, man, my knee still hurts from when I ran to the table five days ago right? What was the reunion with his sisters like? Or his friends or his neighbor? I mean, was there more weeping? I bet there was. Like happy tears from Mary and Martha, his sisters. Did did the professional mourners still get paid for this one? (laughs) Because he's not dead anymore. Do do they still get paid or they just go on their way? Did, Did like one of his neighbors come up to him and the first thing he said was, hey, by the way, Lazarus, you still have my hammer and I need it back. What, what happened? What were the conversations like? What was going through Lazarus's head? What was the first thing Jesus said to Lazarus? Was it like, hey, welcome back, brother? Was it, it's so good to see you again? 
Was it, hey, Lazarus, like gives him the wink and the gun. You're welcome. (laughs) Maybe Jesus just hugged him for a long time. What was the first thing that Lazarus said to Jesus? Was it, man, thank you so much. I feel alive again, new life. I, I couldn't, like, this is, I feel better than I ever have. Was it, was it, I can't believe I have a second chance. Did he say, hey, I need a shower. I stink. I've been in there four days. I can smell myself. That's how bad I stink. Was it, maybe Lazarus said, hey, Jesus, dude, what did you go and do that for? <laughs> I was quite comfy and at peace when I was dead. <laughs> No sin around me, no, no, no arguing, no gossip, none of that, right? It's interesting to think about, wasn't it? Isn't it? Like, I think, like if Grammy were raised from the dead right now, I think she'd be like, Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> I was quite happy with you just now. Uh, C.S. Lewis, by the way, his book, A Grief Observed, uh, and a shout out to my aunt for sending me this quote this week. He, he, he says this, he says, I call Stephen the first martyr. Hadn't Lazarus the rawer deal? <laughs> Isn't that interesting to think about? The story of Stephen, by the way, in Acts, New Testament, chapters 6 and 7, he gets killed for his faith in Jesus. And, and C.S. Lewis says, this guy got killed because of his faith in Jesus. But hadn't Lazarus being raised from the dead the rawer deal? <laughs> he was dead. He was probably okay. And then he was alive again. <laughs> but there's another point to be made here. And... John doesn't talk about any of this. So, so it's not his point. So that needs to be expl- pointed out. And we're not trying to make it his point. Uh, but it is a point I thought of while studying this passage. And this is the part like, John, did you skip a part here? Um, when you go from a death to a resurrection, right? when there's a resurrection up in here, things have to be different in a good way. They can't be the same. They can't be the same as they were before. Our experience won't allow it, and we won't allow it. Have you noticed this? Have you ever gotten a master's class in life, (laughs) and it fundamentally changed how you see and how you live life? You lost a parent or a child or a friend, and you came out, the other side of it still standing and you automatically tended to pay more attention to your close relationships and appropriate people uh, and, appre- and you appreciate people more because it's like, oh, now I know what it's like to lose somebody or a coworker leave, whatever it is. And so you automatically start to appreciate people more and paying attention to your close relationships. Have you ever had a health scare and there was this few days where you didn't know what the outcome will, would be? And you ended up being okay. And, and so you start just automatically more intentionally treating your body better. Cause like, I know what it's like to think, Oh, I might be on my way out and I'm not. And it just automatically shifted how you saw the world, how you lived. Have you ever been fired or you somehow lost your job and, and at your next job, you just appreciated a job more. You appreciated work more. You appreciated what you give to this world, what you bring this world more. Have you ever been betrayed by a friend and and you recovered after some grieving and you ended up being a better friend automatically to others because you know what it's like to not have a good friend and you're not going to do that. Why does it work like this? Now, it's it's, it's fair to point out here that that our deaths, quote unquote, uh, the deaths in our lives, they can cause us to be bitter and angry and lose hope, right? We can experience a death and choose to be miserable forever, 
We can make that choice. So it doesn't always happen this way as I'm explaining it. But if we hold out for the resurrection, because by the way, that's how life with Jesus works. And if we keep our faith and hope and integrity and uh, the truth is things have to be different from now on. Things have to be different after this. We have, we have a different, more grounded perspective. We start to realize what actually matters and what doesn't really matter. We use our time and our words and our gifts and our money differently. Maybe we slow down and become people-centric instead of project-centric or thing-centric or busyness-centric. There's, there's death and there, then there's a resurrection and we let ourselves experience all of it. And when we deal with it well, it will lead us to a more centered, more grounded, more meaningful way of life. It can't help not do that. It's almost as if it can't help but be this way, which is, by the way, what I would call grace. It's the gift on the other side of death, which is resurrection. This is, by the way, why I asked, where is Jesus revealing God's glory to you? And how can you team up with Jesus to help reveal God's glory to someone else? This is why I asked, what might God be about to do in your life that you wouldn't and couldn't have even seen coming? This is why I asked, what stones need to be taken away and what grave clothes need to be taken off? Because when we begin to live differently because of a death and resurrection, we know what death feels like. We're not going that way again if we can help it then things like trying to line up with the will and glory of God for yourself and for the benefit of others. Things like having faith and hope of what God can do, even if it's beyond our wildest dreams. And things like getting rid of what you need to get rid of in order to really live. These things tend to come to the forefront. What is it you've gone through? What's happened to you? What deaths have you experienced? either because of what you chose or because of what someone else chose or did or, or just because life happened. What is it that's happened to you that, that it was a death? No doubt about it. It was a death. It was terrible. It was horrible. It sucked, but it led to a resurrection. By the way, you can't have a resurrection without first having a death. You kept your faith and your hope. You fought through it. You're still standing and breathing. What is it that's happened that's caused you to see the world and live in the world differently for the better? You couldn't help but change your perspective and your priorities. Things that mattered before just didn't matter as much anymore because they never, you realize, needed to matter very much in the first place. And you, you came out the other side more grounded, more centered, and more Jesus-centric, whether you realized it or not. My friends, may that experience or that death, as horrible as it might have been, May it continue to lead to more life. May it continue to lead to more desire for God's glory to be revealed. May it continue to lead to more faith and hope that God can do something unexpected. May it continue to lead to more enthusiasm to take off the grave clothes that you need to take off, to roll away the stones you need to roll away, and to put on whatever it is you need to put on. May it continue to lead to more and more assurance that your story isn't over. That's resurrection. You might have another death coming up, but then you're going to have another resurrection. That's what Jesus does. He says, it's time for some resurrection up in here. Thank you for listening to Experience 30. Much love, grace, and peace.